Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Welcome to Crucified. I'm your host, Charlie McQuillan, pastor of GraceWorks Bible Church in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and it is my privilege to be your teacher for this time as we study God's Word together, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Now, those two verses that I read to you come out of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. If you want an interesting study, take verse 6, where he says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37. Okay, well, we're glad that you have joined us this time, and we're going to continue our study through the book of Philemon. And we're, we're coming down to the, to the end here. We've got about another two studies, and so we're getting ready to say goodbye to this little book. If you will, join me to the book of Philemon, and we're going to begin in verse 15. And we read here, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldst receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand, I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Now we're going to look at verses 15 through 19 today, and we're going to explore the language of grace, and how restoration and forgiveness and and all of those things that we see here in the book hinge on Calvary. Now, in verse 15, as Paul is beseeching Philemon, we read here, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season. You know, yes, Paul is writing this, but this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is really a statement that God is making through Paul. When he says, perhaps he therefore, perhaps Onesimus therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldst receive him forever, you need to realize that God does believe in happenstance, in chance. Many people will look at this verse and argue that this is a divine appointment. You ever wonder, how did Onesimus come across the the Apostle Paul? Uh, How did he know to look for him and to find him? There's a lot of talk and debate about that, but Onesimus may have had a legal dispute with Philemon and sought out a mediator. And having met Paul, through Philemon and their interaction together. He knew something about the character or the person of Paul and sought him out to help settle a dispute, something to consider. And that's going to come into play as we look at verses uh, 17, 18, and 19. However you look at that, you have to recognize that God does not leave out the possibility of chance. There is this Calvinistic idea that saturates Christianity that in order for something to happen and take place, God's hand is in every little detail. God does not need to micromanage creation in order to accomplish his will. When we read a verse like that, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldst receive him forever, don't miss the point that one, things happen, and they don't need to be caused by, by God interjecting his hand in that, but that there are opportunities that, that do present themselves, And no matter what you think of that verse, you are responsible to keep eternity in mind. I want you to think about verse 15 here. When he says, Perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldst receive him forever. You know, Paul is encouraging Philemon to really keep eternity in mind. Now, come with me to Romans chapter 15. 
Romans chapter 15 and verse 6. Romans chapter 15 and verse 6. He says that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. You know, Christ received us, and therefore God received us. This is restoration under grace. You find acceptance in Christ alone. And Paul is appealing to the accomplishments of Calvary as the basis for why Philemon should receive Onesimus, who is now, as we read there in verse 16, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Philemon, recognize who he is as your brother in the Lord. Receive him because of what Christ accomplished and because God received him on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is what restoration under grace is based upon. Now, just to contrast this, come with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and I want you to see verse 28. And here, what he's doing in the beginning of the book of Romans is establishing man's guilt and man being without excuse before God. And he concludes that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's three things you need to understand about the gospel laid out there in in the first five chapters of Romans. And that is, one, we have a sin problem. And that's what he establishes from chapters 118 all the way through chapters 3, verse 20. We have a sin problem. God provides a solution, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then man has a responsibility to respond by faith to that message of grace. And here in Romans chapter 1, he's explaining the condition of the world, the condition of humanity before God, how it got that way. And that begins there in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 28 And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Man rejected God. Now this really begins, when you think about it, you can point to Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Historically, though, when God gives up and gives over those who would not retain God in their knowledge, you see that historically happening in Genesis chapter 11. But The condition of the nations back then is the same as it is today. Here is mankind. Here is who we are in the flesh without Christ. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, I want you to go through that list with me one more time here in verse 29, 30, and 31. And and I want you to take careful notice with verse 31. When he says there, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, This is the exact opposite of the grace of God. People want to complain about God and and his plan of salvation and say that the way God has laid that out in his word is no good and he's unfair. You know, Romans 1 makes something very clear as a quick side note. When you deal with atheists or agnostics, whatever, people who, who want to deny the existence of God, 
they don't have an evidence problem. Their issue is is not a, a lack of uh, evidence or, or things that they can look at to point to a creator and point to God Almighty. I mean, that's verse 21 and all that. Look, God put it in, in every one of us to know that there is a creator and that we're going to be judged one day. And so we like to hold the truth in unrighteousness. We like to, to put that away and cover up what we really know with all kinds of things and arguments and philosophies. And we make God into an image or into a, an idea. That's verse 23. The reason people want to deny God and not retain him in their knowledge is they have a problem with his justice. And somebody who knows that they fall short of the glory of God, and there's not a person on this planet that doesn't realize that, that they are worthy of judgment. But look at verse 31 here. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. What are all those things? I want you to look at the last three. Without natural affection. You wonder, take the abortion debate, who could murder their own child? Now, they, they, they dehumanize that baby. They don't acknowledge the reality of what's happening. But you know what that is, is killing a person. How could someone do that without natural affection? What about implacable? What does that mean? The word implacable means you're never satisfied. You're never appeased. There's no atonement. You think about cancel culture in the world today. People look at your past. People look at things that you say, look at things that you've done, have no regard for their own falling short of the glory of God. And in their arrogance and in their moment of self-righteousness, want to put other people down, not realizing their own failures, or at least not acknowledging them. And when someone goes looking for restoration and acceptance and, and, and love, they can't find it in the world. Why? Because their fellow man is implacable, unmerciful. Who will spare me from what I deserve? Not the world. If you want acceptance as an unbeliever, you need to be received. You need to, you need to find acceptance. You need to, to, to be justified. You've got a sin problem. God has a solution. And the solution is the blood of Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And that is the basis upon which we are received. Grace is what makes that possible. You say, I can't find atonement in the world. I can't satisfy the delusional sense of justice my fellow man has. The only way you're going to find peace and acceptance and justice against your sin, mind you, is at the cross. You want mercy? Look to Calvary. By his mercy, he saved us. And for believers, if we are going to have restoration and to receive one another, it needs to be founded upon what Christ took care of at Calvary. He took care of everything that is wrong with you, that is wrong with me, took the judgment against our sin upon himself so that we can receive his life when we trust him. That is a great exchange. Paul is encouraging Philemon, receive him, not now as a servant, above a servant. Don't look at him in his old identity. Look at him in his new identity, a brother beloved. He's accepted in the beloved. That's a wonderful reality, isn't it? And friend, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to recognize you've got a sin problem, and God has a solution. All your failures, all your uncertainties about where you'll go when you die, God has an answer for. All the rebelliousness and, and the, the, the issues, you might not act out on everything, but you know what? You've got a heart problem. I've had a heart problem, and the only one who can take care of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God doesn't want your religion. 
You say, well, I go to church every every weekend and 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 I pray and I confess and I do. God says, throw it out the window. I can't accept it. What I accept exclusively is the work that my son accomplished when he shed his blood for your sins and took your judgment there in an historical moment in time where he was hung on a cross and died your death, not just physically, but spiritually. You need life, and life is found in Christ alone. Now, when he says, receive him not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, I want you to look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. God doesn't want your religion. He wants your faith. He wants you trusting in his son's finished work. Now, Romans chapter 12, I want you to see verse 10. Well, verse 9, he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. See, when Paul says, receive him as a brother beloved, you know what that means? You know, we read there in in Romans 1, they said without natural affection. He says, no, no, no. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Philemon, your your sense of justice might, might have been violated legitimately. But you know, God's justice was satisfied, and Onesimus is now covered by the blood. Recognize that. That's not ignoring the problem. That's recognizing a solution to the problem. He says, with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Philemon, look to Calvary as the means of restoration. See, that's the attitude of grace. Now, come back with me to Philemon. And I want you to see verse 16 a little closer now. He says, Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now I want you to notice in verse when he says there in verse 16, But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. There is language repeated throughout the book. Notice he says, much more. You know, that's the language of grace. Come down to verse 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. You know what grace says? Grace says much more, much more. You know, to be a grace believer is to be someone who goes above and beyond just the the norm and the standard that, you know, the law lays out, for example. Let me give you an example of this. To be a grace believer is to recognize the wealth and the blessing that you have in Christ and that other believers have in Christ, and to look at one another through the lens of their acceptance in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and I want you to see verse 3. Well, actually, I'll look at verse 1. Why why would you read Romans 5 without starting at verse 1? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, by the time you get to Romans chapter 5, you should understand fully how to be just before God, in God's sight, how to be justified by faith. And when you are declared righteous, that's what it means to be justified, to be declared righteous, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I can rest. I have peace. I'm not against God any longer. God's not against me. There's peace. There's rest. And in verse 2, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
I mean, that's quite a, quite a bit right after learning about your justification. Now, notice verse 2, or verse 3, rather, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. He takes verse 1 and 2, and then expands, uh, expands the idea, expounds on it, we have peace with God. So when tribulation comes, it's not because God is against you. It's not because God is judging you. He already judged your sin at Calvary. You have peace with God. And when the circumstances of life are adverse to you, don't fret, don't worry. That's not God punishing you. But that's the sufferings of this present time. Or maybe it's, it's, it's the problems that you in, uh, incur because of, of bad choices that you make and you need to be corrected and learn better. Or it's because you're suffering for godliness sake. But what, for whatever reason that you suffer tribulation in life, know that it works. It produces patience, the ability to endure, and patience experience. Now, I have some know-how. I, I have some understanding about how to, to navigate through the difficulties and the issues of life and then experience hope. Well, you already have hope in Christ, whether you take advantage of that or not. But when he says experience works hope, what he's getting at there is you, you learn how to hope in Christ. You live life with that, with that anticipation of the Lord's return and our glory with Him. And then verse 5, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now come down to verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And now look at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received, whom we have now received the atonement. Excuse me. He goes through this, and not only so, and much more, and not only so, and much more in Romans 5. You have to pay attention to those words. Come down to verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. That's, that's because of Adam, the first man. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. There's the much more again. And then notice verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did what? much more abound. See, to be a grace believer and to operate in the grace of God means to recognize what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ and all the resource and blessings that you have in Christ are now at your disposal when you access them by faith. All the things that God has given you, all the spiritual blessings and the instruction that goes with it that he has given you in Christ are now your resource to handle the issues of life. Now, grace is not an enabler. Grace does not take bad behavior and just turn a blind eye to it. In fact, it points back to Calvary and says, there's the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to recognize something. Don't take the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness, as Jude talks about. Don't take the grace of God and think that that is permission to just do what you want and to thumb your nose at God. That's not what grace is. And by the way, grace never teaches you that. Grace teaches you the opposite of that. The, the, the law says you've got a sin problem. Guilty. 
Grace does much more than that. Grace says, you got a sin problem, and here's the answer, and it points to Christ. Grace is centered in Calvary. See, that's why the much more of grace works. Someone's failure, someone's shortcomings, their rebellion, their hypocrisy, all of that. Your own, mine. And you can look at that honestly and openly under grace and say that is, that these are the very things that, that, that caused Christ to come and die to deal with the problem and to, to make us righteous before God when we trust him. And now I have his life and I live that life on the basis of his grace. All the blessings, all the favor, all the, all the positives that, that God gives us because of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what grace is. All the riches that God gives you because of Christ's redemptive work. Calvary is the ultimate hinge. Everything in the Christian experience hangs upon the cross. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. There is the grace of God. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 32. If you're having a bad day, and you're all down in, in, in your circumstances, you need to think about these verses. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. This is a wonderful verse to, to demonstrate what the grace of God is. See, don't, don't just gloss over that term. Grace, grace, grace. Oh, yes, it's grace. It's wonderful. Isn't it great? And never have an appreciation of what it really means or where it comes from. Notice Romans 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son. God did not ease up on the judgment. He didn't ease on the wrath that he poured out upon Christ on our behalf. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Notice where he says, with him. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You notice, it's free. It cost God the blood of his son, and it's free to us. There's your answer when it comes to how do I get right with God, and how do I find peace with God, and how do I have assurance of where I'm going when I die? There's the answer. Once you have that answer and you start asking the question, well, how do I live life? How do I live the, the, this, this Christian experience? And, and how do I relate to, to the world around me? And how do I relate to my brothers and sisters in the Lord and operate as a, as a saint of the Most High God? How do I do those things? That's the answer. Recognize what God has given you through His Son. And then use the blessings. Learn what they are. And we will talk about that in future episodes. Learn what those blessings are all about, and then walk by faith in that new identity that you have in Christ. Let grace reign in your life, as he says there in Romans chapter 5. Philemon, let grace reign in this circumstance. I mean, that's really what he's getting at in verse 15 and 16. Receive him forever, not as a servant. Forget the old identity. Recognize who he is now as a brother beloved. Be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love and honor preferring one another, he says. Philemon, verse 17, he says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Isn't that a wonderful verse that demonstrates this great picture of the individual, the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father? If thou count me therefore a partner. That word partner, think of, of fellowship. He says, receive him as myself. That's a picture of, 
of, of God the Son and, and God the Father and their partnership, their fellowship together in this plan of salvation. And I want you to think of two verses here. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. We read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And it's as if you have the Lord Jesus Christ saying to the Father, If you count me a partner, receive this individual as myself. The one who placed their faith in my accomplishments, receive him. What a wonderful picture that is. Now, verse in verse 18, and you notice the word count. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Put it on my tab. I'll pay the bill. And that's exactly what Christ does for us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he, that is God, hath made him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Everything wrong with you and me, all the wrong that we've ever committed and will commit, the Lord says, put that on my account. I'll, I'll pay it. And he does. Now here, back to Philemon, when, he's, when Paul here is speaking to, to him, and, and he says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. This is a remarkable statement. See, here's Paul letting grace reign in his life. Now, you're going to see something interesting in verse 19 here. Notice what Paul writes in verse 19. He says, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. When he says there in verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. You have to remember something. When Paul writes his epistles, it's usually given by dictation. Someone else writes it down, an amanuensis, that type of idea. Paul speaks, the person writes. In this case, it's Onesimus. And then Paul takes the pen out of his hand, as it were, and says, I got verse 19. You know what I mean by that. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. That's what we call a promissory note. And, and it's like Paul is, is putting down his name and his promise in legal fashion. Philemon now has a signature from Paul the Apostle that he will take on Onesimus' debts. He's legally liable. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. This isn't a forgery. It's not a fake letter. Here's my signature. Put it on my account. Now, the end of verse 19, where he says, Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. <laughs> That's kind of a funny way of saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. What Paul is pointing to, some, some people will take this verse as if Paul is, you know, is tightening the screws on Philemon and is trying to guilt him into making a decision. Now, that's not what's happening here. Paul isn't using guilt. There's no reason to think that. That's just a foolish way to look at the verse. But what he is doing, again, is go back to verse 6. By the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus, he's acknowledging who Philemon is in Christ. He's appealing to that reality. He is pointing out to Philemon, remember, you needed Christ also. You got saved under my ministry, just like Onesimus. You are one in Christ. He's your brother. And you ought to have some humbleness of mind, some meekness, and restore him now. Now, going back to what Paul says at the beginning of verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. I want you to think, if I can make an application here, how do we know God's gift of eternal life is any good? Well, he put his name on it. 
He gave you his word. He inspired his word. He preserved his word without mistakes in your language. And you find that in a King James Bible, by the way, if you're English speaking. And as you read those words, those living words, you see that it's coming from the God who cannot lie. Look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. There's a statement about who God is and his character. He cannot lie. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. It is impossible for God to lie. And he gave you his word, and he puts his signature, as it were, down. How do you know God's promise is good? Because he said so. And he demonstrated his love and his grace When the Lord Jesus Christ came in our likeness, in our humanity, took our judgment, died our death, conquered sin and death, was raised again to give us life as a free gift. Friend, if you haven't trusted in Christ alone, you need to trust him now. And the moment you trust him, God receives you. God makes you accepted in the beloved. You have peace with God. You have forgiveness of sins. You have eternal life as a present reality. The world can't give that to you. Your religion can't guarantee that. The only thing that your religion guarantees is guilt and failure and disappointment. There's no religion, there's no other God that can answer the sin problem like the true and living God. Trust Him today. And for those of us who have trusted Christ, let grace reign. The moment that God puts you into Christ, and you're now one in Christ, you have a new identity. You're dead to sin, you're alive to God. We emphasize that a lot here, I know. Take that new identity and acknowledge who you are in Christ. And spend the time in God's Word exploring the riches of His grace. Understanding what those blessings are and how they impact your understanding, your your mindset, the choices you make, and so on. I hope you find encouragement in these verses in in our time that we've spent in the book. If you have questions or comments... You can email us at crucifiedpodcast at gmail.com. And I pray that this has been a beneficial time of study for you. We'll conclude here. Next time, we'll finish the book. And I hope you join us as we determine the timing of, of when this book was written. Did Philemon acknowledge Paul's plea? There is a way you can determine that. And I'm going to give you two perspectives to consider. And then we'll have some final words as we say goodbye to this little book. Until then, enjoy life in Christ and serve the one who gave it to you. Praise the Lord.